radio check. Next artist is on A rig. Artist is on the way to the stage. Lighting, the artist is requesting we go door. Every great artist, great stage, great sound, and great visuals is a crew of men and women making it happen. Hear their stories. What up, everybody? I'm Rocky. This is Brenda. And I'm Kirby. And you tuned in to Set Time. How's everybody doing today? Very good. Very good. good, good. Very good. Just good. Got back from a vacation. Lucky. Back hurts. Lucky. We're in the studio. You need a vacation from a vacation. <laughs> I just need to get back to work. <laughs> All right. So our guest today is a Los Angeles native, Venice Beach, to be exact. He's a legend in and out of the music festival. Welcome to the show, Josh. Hello, how are you? Okay. Oh, yeah. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> we have to put the sound effects in here. I know. You were just Woo-hoo. telling us about your vacation. You just you just returned also. Yeah, I just got back from Kauai. Both of you lucky little best. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we, we found that gap that we could split where there actually wasn't work or anything going on. So uh, yeah. my lady and I hopped on a plane and got out of Dodge for six days and got well taken care of by our friends over there. Luck. Nice. It's got a long time coming. I remember you talking about that oh, at the last show we were at at uh, Factor 93 party. So I was telling them earlier that I have friends that grew up there their whole lives and friends who've also lived there for about 20 years now at this point. And they have waited decades for me to come over. And they're just like, what took so long? And I'm like, I don't know, man, but damn, I'm, I will never wait this long again. That island is incredible. It's magic. It is awesome there. Yeah. So some people know you as Bagel. Correct. And we were just discussing <laughs> the... Uh, the origin? Exactly. All right, so the origin of the nickname... I, it was born out of friendly racism, as I like to tell people, or friendly prejudice. <laughs> a friend of mine named Wandy, he's older than me. I've told this story a thousand times. It's the most asked thing usually to me in my it's personal unusual nickname. Like, how'd you get the nickname? And I'm definitely not the only bagel. There's other bagels. There's I've met, I personally have met them before. You know. Oh, you're my favorite bagel. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that. So, um. My friend and I were just talking shit to each other one day, and he's like, fuck you, little Jew motherfucker, and blah, 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 blah. We're going back and forth, and he's like, fuck you, bagel-eating motherfucker, and he just wouldn't stop, kept saying it, and he's all, and he nicknamed everybody, and he's like, that's your nickname, bagel, and I go, who in the fuck would call someone that? Like, that's the dumbest <laughs> thing I ever heard. Gotta be a Venice thing, and then, Yeah, and then, like, the next day, he had everybody calling me that and then it was on the walls and it was like stuck ever since i was it it was done you, know? Were you a kid at the time or uh, yeah i was like 16 and now i'm 52 and it's just never gone away <laughs> and for those and we're on this subject too for those of you out there that are buying into brian yablonski saying that i absolutely hate being called bagel he is totally fucking with all of you it's just <sighs> a thing that he's doing i don't care i answer to both 
people that have known me forever will call me Josh. Like Yablonski only calls me Josh. And like, you know what I mean? And that's what's so funny about that. Like I said, Bree calls me Classman now. But a lot of people bought into Brian's I like uh, bullshit story. Classman uh, feels like uh, a coach. Coach. <laughs> yeah, like, but it feels Classman. <laughs> but it feels more like, uh, you know, my sir. <laughs> like I told Brian, I was like, I love that you call me Classman because the coach has always liked saying that name for some reason. Instead, call me Josh Classman suited them. I guess it just has that name. Yeah. So yeah, that's the origin of Bagel. Now we know. At least I know. You already knew. You said. Yeah. 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 It's a great story, though. It's a great yeah. story. I love it. Funny, man. I mean, it made our time go by at the show. By the way. <laughs> yeah, it, like, it killed like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that helped with the interview. Totally. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about growing up in Venice Beach. Um, okay, one, and I'm not saying this to be a dick, but growing up there, we just call it Venice. Oh. Gotcha, <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, we will never refer to it as Venice Beach. Um, it's, um, it was wild. It was like, it was wild as fuck. It was the 80s in Venice. It was like crack and crash units and skating at the pavilion, graffiti everywhere and just making ramps and putting them against walls and just concrete. And it was a really cool aesthetic to grow up in. Cause it was like concrete meets the sea. It was a very core vibe. It was, it was gritty as fuck growing up there. And there's drugs and violence and craziness constantly. And we just grew up around it and like got off on it and loved it. It was just normal to us. It was completely normal. And honestly, and it's very true that, a friend of mine, Westy, once said this. He was like, you guys literally are the opposite of the rest of the world and it totally works for you guys. And he's like, it's just insane. And we are one of the most dysfunctional areas on the planet that absolutely is functional, if that makes sense. We're just used to our own ways. And we definitely have our own unique style and take. And especially because of the era we grew up in. So you had all the guys from the 70s. And we all looked up to them. Those are the Dogtown guys, yeah, right? Yeah, like all those guys. Yeah. And, and like, and, but not only them. So, like, here's another thing, too. So, Dogtown, in all reality, Dogtown itself, there's, like, Dogtown skates that my friend Jim Beer owns. And that's, like, everyone rides those boards. And it's, a, you know, it's a big Venice thing and a Santa Monica thing and, you know, like a West Side thing. But, like, it's related to that whole area where Dogtown itself is Santa Monica. And there's like this okay. very dividing line on that. And then there's Venice, you know, and like it's always been a separate thing with us where we're like, we're not Dogtown. Like you could skate for Dogtown and you could be a Dogtown team rider, but like you're from Venice or you're from the Venice breakwater oh. and Dogtown's more SM as the name goes in the area. You know what I mean? So, um, but we're all friends. Like everyone knows yeah, each other, yeah, but there's yeah. also the rivalries of like, it's still right. the city's breakdown, even though you're right it's next territorial. to each other. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It was always like that. Um, and so the guys from the seventies, you just, I come from an area where one upping is just, just the norm. And like everyone tried to one up everyone when it came to surfing, drinking, women, guys like you know chicks going after dudes and everyone was one up it was nuts how it was just so much bravado and we would look at the guys from the 70s especially the older guys we grew up with down at the breakwater that's what i was getting out with the whole dogtown venice thing like i grew up at the venice breakwater and we had our own crew of older guys that we all looked up to and they were fucking nuts and we're like well we could be nuttier than them and like it's natural when you're a teenager to want to just 
go like, I look up to you guys and I want to outdo you. Like the guy that's like, I look up to this football player, but I want to break his record. Yeah. So my generation, we just went way more psychotic than them. And then punk rock was a part of it. And then hip hop was a part of it. And then the riots became a part of it in 92. Yeah. And it was just from like 80, let's say 85 to like 95 was still fucking on over there. And it was nuts. Helicopters and like I said, like people just slaying it in the middle of the streets and all that. And like definitely way before that. But we grew up in a pretty good heyday of it. We're like the Venice Pavilion started as this really nice like rec center with that had an inside theater and outside theater. And then by the time we got it, it was just graffiti pit and skateboard ramps. And, and we loved it. We're like, yeah. fuck yeah, dude. It was just like escape from New York looking shit. I remember that. It was cool, man. And like the cops pretty much turned a blind eye. Like they were like, fuck it, just let them skate. And you know, sometimes they would fuck the ramp up and take it away. But most of the time they just turned a blind eye and the graffiti at some point they didn't give a shit because it was just riddled. You know, yeah, they're just gonna do it over and over again. So just leave it. But yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome growing up in that era. We were nuts, and we just it fit us perfectly. Like we just saw nothing wrong with it. And it was a lot of high drama and definitely a lot of stress growing up that way. But like when you're that age and you're running off of adrenaline and fucking you know, and your fucking hormones are all over the place, it's perfect. You know what I mean? It's just you need to be wild. So it was a perfect outlet for us. I love it. I love the chaos. How old were you when you started surfing? I was 13. So I boogie boarded from like 10 to like 12. And I started standing up on my boogie board because I was short enough. And I was also, I could already stand up. And I skated since I was like a little kid. So I already had the balance. And a friend of mine, Soch, he was a little younger than me, but he's like an old soul. He might as well be my age. And I actually was just texting him, and he, amazing surfer. Guy charges huge balls, fucking rip surfing. And he's like, hey, man, fuck boogie boarding. And he stopped boogie boarding, went surfing. He's like, get a surfboard, and then come surf the north side with me. And at that time, we were surfing the south side of the breakwater, which isn't like now. It was all shore break. It was all boogie board stuff. So my dad gets me a surfboard. I go over to the north side, and that changed my life forever. Like, first day, I was able to stand up and ride, and then that's how I started meeting everyone at the breakwater, and that's how I ended up being from the breakwater, the uh, best breakwater, yeah. Nice. Surfing, surfing is the number one passion in my life over everything, even over photography and all that. It is the one me thing where it's like, it is literally the most selfish sport on the planet. It, like... When you can't surf, you are praying it's shitty. And then, like, all when you have things you need to do, you are constantly, it's like being a drug addict. You are constantly in your head going, how can I pull off a half hour of surfing? Uh, how can I make, how can I do this? And the last thing I want to hear is my friends tell me how good it is. And it's like, you fiend for that shit. Like, you fiend for it, man. Yeah, my boss is uh, big into surfing, and he tries to get, surf in whenever he can so he's yeah, like oh, i'm yeah. gonna be in like an hour late and he'll come in you know 9 30 but he's there at like 5 30 just to go it looks oh, yeah. so if i can like looks like flying like a bird because it just looks like you're yeah, literally you're gliding. gliding on water it looks so magical it looks i know i'd never be able to surf because i oh wait you could say anyone could surf i don't know yeah, i'm not very gorgeous. very good uh, on two yeah, feet, let alone on a board on water. <laughs> it's it definitely, it's 
the most for me the most therapeutic thing I got. Yeah, you just I go out there that. and you just you literally won. You're like I am detached from land. Like all of the bullshit is on that land and it is not here. So that's one right so off the bat. Freeing. And then the feeling of like oh like I love the water and I want to feel the waves break over me and I like once you stand up it's on. You know you're just like all I want to do is surf. Besides here in Hawaii, have you surfed anywhere else? Like yeah, uh, Mexico, like we were talking about Cabo okay. and all that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, down, like a lot of Mexico. Like I've served Mazatlan and Puerto Vallarta when I was younger. Um, Cabo a couple times. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then we go down to we go down to uh, Los Gaviotas a lot. Like it's about forty five minutes past Rosarito, and we oh, okay. we've been going there for years. And we go surf down that way and drive down there. That's like pretty typical, easy, quick trip to do. Nice. Yeah. Oh, so you were mentioning the photography. Yeah. How did, when did you get into that? Uh, when I was, shit, I mean, I, I was just doing a podcast the other day where I was talking about this. I was always interested in it, even as a little kid, because I always found war photography really interesting. Uh, and so that sort of caught my interest. And I just tripped it like people did that for a living. And I always had a documenting kind of mind more than the art side of it. It was definitely like, I liked like I liked old newspapers and like the way the print looked and the way the photos were. And it was always core. My brain always likes the ugliness of, so I find the beauty in the ugly stuff. And I just always thought documenting was cool. And I used to use my mom's like little Vivitar, you know, fucking shitty little camera. And I'd mess around with that. And then finally I was getting really into it. And there was a place called the Venice Camera Exchange in Venice that doesn't exist anymore. And it was like a, you know, you fucking a discount kind of place yeah and my mom got me like a secondhand camera and a secondhand like lens but a wide angle so it gives you a little bit more of everything around you especially i pulled back a lot because i like the background because the background tells just as much of a story as the foreground and there was a lot in the background in venice like you see crazy shit stories within stories and so that was about 14. okay and then i finally got into high school and i took larry shapiro's class and he was already legendary amongst the guys at the breakwater. Everyone's like, take his class. He's the shit. He looks like Jerry Garcia. <laughs> fucking totally like, you guys could call me Larry. Don't call me Mr. Shapiro. And he's like, I'm not going to teach you guys about the camera per se. I'm going to teach you how to make art with the camera. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. Which he did. And I learned things like how to do time exposures and how to sepia tone a print and things like that. But the whole time I was still just documenting. And so all the pictures I took of my friends, some of them are just happy accidents. The skating ones are because my friends were the best skaters at the time. And it was all happening for the most part down there. You know, like the, it was definitely the Mecca of skating at that time, radical skating and all that. Mm -hmm. We had all the main dudes. There was definitely guys from other areas and they're, you know, that rip, but they all ended up coming to Venice at some point and visiting and stuff. All cool guys, you know, but they got it. Like this is, the birthplace of radical skateboarding and yeah. they want to go see the pavilion and hang out for a week with the boys and stuff. So getting pictures of th those guys was a happy accident of like, these were just my friends. I was taking pictures of them, but they mean so much now because it was people that were really big then and they have more of a historic value now. And the pictures are just my friends hanging out and just what we did and people, it's all happening like on the back end. At the time, I was like, hey, look at these cool pictures I took of yeah, my friends. Yeah, you were just like... And then it just caught on the past, like, four or five years really heavily where people were like, 
Yeah, Damn, these dude, what, are awesome. Like, yeah. what's up with these? And I go, I've been sitting on these for like 30 years, but yeah. I, there was no game plan. I just started like posting them. Hey, check these out. Like, because you it, don't see that anymore. And it caught on, dude, big. I got lucky with it. I was wondering too, that when you were taking those pictures when you were young, did you have the, the foresight to see like, hey, when it, someday these pictures are going like, to mean something? So I always say that like, I took it in hopes of it, it that they were preserving the history in some way. That's awesome. Okay. But not thinking it was going to do it. No, I was well, like, but it did preserve. I mean, I literally in my head just thought I would be dead in 30 years. At that time, I was like, I'll just be dead. This is the lifestyle you're my living and where you're and at. I are wild and I don't. Product of your mind. Not, not even like, oh, dude, because I'm crazy and blah, blah, blah. It was just like, my mind frame was like, I can't see being 50 years old. I just see myself living fast and at some point I'll die surfing or a, a straight bullet will get me. It's just whatever, dude. Life's wild. You don't think ahead like that at that age. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. 30 years from now. And then it happened. And I'm really lucky because I've been in a lot of gallery shows the past, like, let's say five years, like really prominent shows. They've all been random and organic. It was people telling other people like, oh, yeah, I, uh, he's got great shots of the pavilion. Get it him. And that led to like be on the streets and like to live and die in L.A. Like these big shows that yeah. like are all counter counterculture related and it was just all one led to another and then you know i helped you know like paid it forward and helped those guys out if they, if and when they needed like a contact or someone or a venue for a show or something like that you know and so the organic part of it is really cool that it's just all flowing and it's not forced which feels really good because then you're like oh i don't have to sell myself it's just like it's selling itself. yeah it's because you have yeah. good, like a good product. Thank good you. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. definitely. I feel like your photos aren't staged. Exactly. No, they yeah. Are not, all this they shit, are not staged. All this dude. shit now, all you see That's, is staged. Everybody's staging. It, it, you know, and like, I like your shit. It's fucking raw. It's candid. Yeah, like, yeah. my, my favorite Three. is the one where it's all him and his friends. I don't know if you've seen it. He has a t-shirt, but it's him and his friends with Easy. I almost wore that one today, dude. And that and was like really cool. To me, I was like, shit, like you got to meet Easy E. I mean. So the deal with that is. This is a great story about all the way around. So they did Yo MTV raps and it was NWA doing it down at the beach. And it became this like iconic day, which we just were like, hey, dude, we're just down at the beach skateboarding. And we fucking loved NWA. And we're like, oh my God, they're down here. So we all met them, bunch of fucking surfer skater kids, you know. And we took a bunch of pictures with Easy. And the guy that nicknamed me, Wandy, is like in the picture, he's shaking Easy's hand. He's throwing up his V's for Venice. Wandy is and then the rest of us are around him and we're all throwing up our v's and so have our hats backwards the whole nine that picture ended up like in thrasher magazine somehow right and it was and they used it for like a little picture and they talked about the day and then they used it for an ad like 10 years later and we never knew who took the photo we were going fucking nuts like who actually took this picture because there's three of us in the photo that are local Venice photographers. We're like, we know we didn't take the picture. <laughs> and then there was another guy that wasn't there that day. And he's like, I know for a fact I didn't take the picture. There was someone else sort of claiming it. And they were like, it's something I would have took, but I can't remember if I did. He didn't take it though. Years later, like decades later, my friend is looking at Mass Appeal magazine on Instagram. And he goes, hey, you see that that shot of the contact sheet? 
number 10 is the photo, right? I go, yeah. He goes, dude, it's a guy named Ithaca Pappas who took these photos. And we're like, holy shit, that's cool. We finally found out who it was. So I contact the guy, I go, hey man, I'm one of the kids in the photo, this, that. We have been like, literally, like you're like Bigfoot, dude. We've been searching for you for like 20 something <laughs> years and we fucking finally found out, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, we end up totally befriending the guy. I meet him at the Contact High um, exhibit that the hip hop, the was it a, um, the, hip, the history of hip hop show at the Annenberg. It was insane, dude. For like, a, it was like, it's still touring. It just did Dubai. It's literally like a whole hip hop of history. So I go in there and it's like, those photos are all up. There's a film that they show of us hanging out with Easy e and them. And we're like, wow, me and my friends are like this iconic part of this day. And it became a full thing. It's in the book, the whole deal. You okay. see, you see my nickname on the wall. You see a big bagel and vision. Oh, that's great. Uh, and so that's how that that went about and it became this real famous shot so but we finally found out who it was and the guy's a really cool guy and then he ends up by coincidence knowing my friend ricky massey who's one of my best friends who i grew up surfing with and ricky's like oh i totally know ithaca but he knows him from surfing through these like south african guys that he surfs with and they've gone to mexico with each other and ricky was like oblivious to the fact that this dude was a photographer and I'm like, yo, man, this we've been searching for your boy. He goes, oh, yeah, I've known him for like 10 years. I'm like, uh, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's how that day went about it. And I always joke and say it's the one time that I was happy that I was on the other side of the lens. Yeah. And I was like, fuck it, man. If I didn't take it, at least I'm in it. Yeah. yeah. So it's funny. I was this close to wearing that shirt, man. Oh, that shirt. Yeah. Great. Yeah. A part of history. That's awesome. Yeah, that's always cool. And it's cool because it's it transcends to... It's all the genres of, it's like hip hop and then the skating and surfing and then the Venice culture. And then those guys came from Compton and they wanted to go down to Venice to shoot and all that. And it's just like, it's like, that's where you just started seeing everything starting to mesh. Like the, all the, the lines were getting like crossed where it was like, you didn't have to just be this and just be that. Like people are getting into like how we just mash it all up, you know? Yeah. That's what Los Angeles is good for. The di yeah, di yeah. yeah, diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we always say, too. We're like, LA's diverse as hell, and Venice is even more so. You know, like, it is like even more, or, you know, it used to be. I mean, it is like, it is to an extent still, but it was more back then, you know. There's a quote that I think I saw you put or something um, where it says, just because you pay rent doesn't yeah. mean you're a local. So, a friend of mine, love it. My friend Brian, may he rest in peace. He's hilarious. We, he was the person that I got into a lot of trouble with, and he was my best friend. He, he was hilarious, man. So we got all fucked up one night, and we just went down to the breakwater. We started spray painting shit on the walls, and like I'm horrible with like graffiti. Like I don't have any skills with a can or like sloppy as hell. I never even tried. So he was writing things, and I was telling him certain things to write. And at the time, that was 1989, it was like, in 1988, my mom was like, I'm moving to West LA. I'm getting out of here. Like, this place is going to get gentrified. And I was like, I didn't know what that meant. I'm like, what's gentrified? And she taught me what gentrified was. I was like, you're crazy. That'll never happen here. What are you talking about? And she already was seeing it because she was older, obviously, you know. And by 1989, we were feeling it, but it wasn't like that buildings were getting knocked down and they were building other shit. It was, it was the people that were moving in had an attitude of entitlement where we're like, mm -hmm. yo man, mesh with the community. Don't think you're going to run the community. 
and they got like a rude awakening with our friends and I. And most of them are people like, I met so-and-so and I bought them a drink and I'm in. And you're like, no, that is not how it works around here. Go fuck yourself and like fuck your drinks, you know? If we're not, you can't buy us, you know? Yeah. So I told him, I go, he was writing like all these things that were like surf related. Oh, just because you know some of the surfs here doesn't mean you could, or you know, if just because you know some that lives here doesn't mean you could surf here and all that, like the typical shit you would see at all, all kinds of different beaches. And I was like, dude, this has to be more about surfing. This just has to be about just people who are moving in. I go, but just because you pay rent here doesn't mean you're a local. He's like, fuck it. So he's huge on this main part of the wall, which was this old oil field on the beach. And that is now where the Venice skate park is. It's, it was that wall and that's the wall you're looking at in that photo. So he wrote it just gigantic and they used to have to use a sandblaster to get those off. So they wouldn't like sandblast the wall for like months at a time. And it just sat there for the better part of a year. And it was in the main part where people just had to see it. And it was like, yeah, dude, that's the statement right there. Like, fuck you guys. Like, remember that. Like when I went to Kauai, as much as I was hooked up, still absolutely stayed low key and mellow and respectful because yeah. it's not your area. You know, you don't want to come in trying to be the big and, dog. And I heard their gripes and I was like, yeah, man, I'm from a place that goes through that. And like, I get it, man. That's shitty. Especially over there. It's unspoiled. You're like, it would be horrible if they started doing shitty things like that, you know? But for us, it was just more the people that were moving in. And now it's a billion of those people and we just deal with it every day. It sucks. It's it's a battle. It's a constant battle, man. Yeah, I haven't been down there in forever, but I can just imagine how much it's changed. It's 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 changed a lot, and it's very strange because we have the homeless thing going on. So uh, it it looks like the Road Warrior or Thunderdome down there, and then so you have the part of like, well, the dangerous part came back, but it's not like when we were growing up. It's so it's a different vibe with it. It's because it's not people we know. You know, it's like, we're like, we don't know these, like back in the day, be like, oh, there's Dirty Sally and Sea Hag. And yeah, you know, you but, them, it's right. just like, yo, dude, they're the friendly winos, you know, kind of thing. This shit, you're like, I don't know these people. And they're like, burn, literally, dude, burning each other's tents down, <gasps> like killing each other, starting fires. It's wild down there. And then yeah. you have it all like built up. So then there's people that are on vacation that like that part's not in the brochure. So they still get shocked. <laughs> but I'm like, Hey man, if you want the real Venice experience, like I don't know the funky fucked up shits, it you want you want to see some old school shit, check out that tent on fire, you know? Yeah. It's it's a very strange time down there right now with all that, because it's rich next to poor, where before it was rich next to poor and some middle class. And a lot of those families like when when the rates were high, were selling, but they were selling too early back in the day. Um, they were selling for hundreds of thousands instead of millions, but they didn't know. And a lot of them just moved like to Inglewood and cities over there where they just could get a cheaper house and have a ton more money and be able to retire. And that opened up some doors for people to move in and like sort of fuck things up. Bad right there though. Like off of the 405 in Venice? Like bad traffic wise? No, like, <laughs> like already right there, bro. Uh, oh, right, right I mean, around that area, yeah. yeah. It's bad like with, the, like with the homeless stuff, you mean? Oh, it's crazy, dude. Like, in Playa del Rey off Jefferson, when it turns into Culver, dude, it's like, it's just campers as far as the eye can see. Yeah. It's crazy. Fools are all fentanyled out and tweaked out. It's wild. Actually, but, I, I actually had a friend that sold his house right there, um, right off of Venice in the 405, and he said his parents bought his house at like 
300,000. They left it to him. He sold it for 1.5. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like going rate. Right. Like 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 in Venice, and it looks like two point one is like a bro, going rate. It, it was shitty. Bro. Oh yeah, dude. It's just it's the property. You know what yeah. I mean? The area. Because yeah. during the pandemic, it was super off the charts with the homeless shit. I mean, it was on the news every day and all that. And all they did was they just like they just were like cool, dude, and they just like went to the alley or the. You know, yeah, like they yeah. just moved over like a half a block. It wasn't like they were gone. And then that one sheriff was like, I cleaned it up. And you're like, you only yeah. did it because it's election year. Like yeah. the election's two weeks away, dude. Like anyone fooled by that. Like, fuck that, dude. You didn't really clean it up. You yeah. just pushed it. You just pushed it out. You just it's cleaned all, the street. What's, still the there. What, what's the sheriff's name again? The new one, it's like, fuck him and Garcetti, dude. They fucking let this place go to hell. And the sheriff hasn't done shit since. You're like, yeah. you got your little cameo. You guys came up, you, you you scooted them along. They're all back, dude. You know? And shit, shit, <laughs> totally. So, yeah, Venice, is a, it's always been a strange place with that. You know, like, we tend to get the craziness. You know, in the 80s when Reagan shut down all the, all the like, I guess I have to call it the mental health facilities. I was going to call it a fucking loony bin. But, like, yeah. <laughs> I guess if that's not PC, whatever. You know, like, I'm old school. Fuck yourselves. But, like, when he shut down all the nut houses, the joke was a ton of them ended up in Venice. Like, they just did. It was like, that was the play. Like, you could just get away with it there. Like, people fit in there that are crazy. You're like, oh, dude, just, you know, whatever. Some dude's talking to himself. See it every morning, you know? Living on the beach. Yeah, yeah totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, you still do, as you were saying in galleries, you still do a lot of photography. Are you, yeah. is your photography art only or you? Uh, it, no. So the solo stuff that I don't do with Jamie when we do our collaborations, are j it's just my prints and it's just my old stuff. Sometimes I'll put new photos in and I shoot on film with the same exact camera, literally the same exact camera from when I was 14. Um I shoot on Tri-X 400. It's really gritty, grainy film. Oh. And so sometimes I'll sneak in a photo where it doesn't look dated and people will think it's an old photo. You know, it's pretty, you don't need an app for that, you know? Uh, and, and another thing too is I don't hate on digital. I'm very open about that. I don't hate on it at all, like in any way. And the Instagramification is great, but like I personally like to shoot with my own yeah, You like yeah, that yeah. grading. Like you like that. Gritty, yeah. It's my comfort zone and I know how to use that gear to get what I want, you know? Yeah. So and it, style. and it makes it to be it goes with the story of everything and it's hey man like this is as raw and real as you could get you know so I, I want it on film um, those are just like documentary style when Jamie and I do our collaborations it becomes a full art piece and it becomes a one of a kind because of Jamie's art so Jamie Ernest who's one of my closest friends and best friends he is vision from. West Coast artist from WCA. And we started doing these collaboration pieces with my photos and his art. And then he'll have me do like this sketch art that I do. It's literally the only thing I'm good at is this crazy sketch art. And then I'll write stuff, you know, and I, cause since I'm a writer as well, there's certain lines I'll put in the art and stuff like that. And so every photo you see, it's us literally telling the story of our upbringing in Venice. Yeah. And it like ties in well and you could see it. It's really Cool. And we will just shoot the shit on the phone and then be like, you know what we should add in or like, remember this one day and blah, 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 blah. And it'll relate on that photo. So that's when it becomes art. Those, the two pieces that you have at that art museum yeah. that we went, that's, Other, yeah. we saw that like style. Yeah. So my friend who's crouching down next to the just because you pay right here, yeah. that's Brian. 
Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All and right. we were like world's dumbest criminals then where we like the, and I lived right <laughs> up the block for that. We like ran back the next morning and started taking pictures of like posing in front of it. And I'm like, we're just giving ourselves away. But, you know, but it, at that time there was no cameras. So you could yeah, get you, away with it. Yeah. No social no, media. So, yeah. No social yeah. media and cell phone cameras. I mean, yeah. It was different then. Yeah. yeah fully. Absolutely. But you got that raw footage, bro. Fully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. I, my friends and I, I have a lot of friends that have really good photos that I beg them to break out their archives and they do every once in a while. And it's funny because we all sort of have photos of somewhat the same stuff, but everyone's got their different eye and style. And it's really cool because there's a ton of people that I grew up with that took some incredible shots. And like, I had like a lot of Jay and skating and all that kind of stuff. Like my one friend, I was like all the surfing. And his stuff, Steve Shelp, he's, and, and his brother, Jeff, like, they got genius shit. I'm like, Steve has these archives. I just begged the dude to break them out. And every once in a while, he will, and he'll get amped. And he's like, I need to start doing something with these. I'm like, dude, scan them all. So me and him have photos of the same guy skating, but, like, in different directions. And we've matched up our photos, and they're, like, dead on. And I'm like, we could do a whole gallery show of that. Yeah. But the and the funny shit is it took us 30 years to realize we were in each other's photos. How interesting. Uh, we're like, holy shit. And I'm like, that's a happy accident. And, like, you could just line them up, you know. Like, my Instagram photo of me sitting on the wall taking the picture, that is at the old ramp of the pavilion. It's Steve. It's a picture that Steve t took of Eric Dressen doing an air from the other side. And I'm taking a picture of Eric from that side. And so I just zoomed in on myself on that, you know what I mean? Oh. But, yeah, so, like, there's... It's not just me. Like, I'm big on that. I'm not that dude that's like, oh, yeah, I'm the only one. I'm going to be a hater and not say anything else. I have friends. I have a friend named Richie Rich and Nick Bradley. They all have great photos, really good photos. Man, a lot of people do. All these guys got, like, like dope-sounding names. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. You know, like, they're, they're all Nick, superheroes, bro. Nick Tame Bradley, he, 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 he hit up Tame. And then Richie Rich was uh, is Richard Smith, and we just called him Richie Rich. That's that Venice shit. Yeah, yeah, like everyone's got a nickname, dude. You're not getting out of it. Yeah, you're gonna absolutely not getting out of it. My coworker, the same thing. He's got buddies and like Blaze and Laser yeah, yeah, yeah. and Teaser. I'm like, how the fuck? Do <laughs> yeah. Like your parents were like fucking stoners when they bullied totally, it. We have some good nicknames. There's some where you're like, how in the fuck did you come up with that? But I do gotta say, mine's the most asked by far. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's rare. I've never met another bagel. Never. And I wasn't the only Jew either. There was like like four or five of us down the breakwater because it was like predominantly Mexican and predominantly black. And then there was like white dudes, but most of them weren't Jews. And then there was a few of us that were Jewish. So it was like, you talk about like being in the super minority. And then like, and then like, like, then it dwindled down to like, how did I get the nickname when out of all those Jewish guys, I didn't have a bar mitzvah. My parents weren't religious. They were like, they were super like cool. And like, my dad's like, you're going to do Christmas and Hanukkah. You're not getting left out on Christmas and being the one kid on the block that doesn't have. I'm like, fuck yeah, that's cool. And I do like Passover and Easter, nice. you know, but I ended, it makes it funnier that I got the name, you know, and I'm just like, man, these dudes were way more about it than me. You know what I mean? They were like actually fucking like read the Torah and all that stuff. Oh man. Uh, like it, it's, it's like fitting that I got it. Yeah. You know? That's funny. As, as much as I love the Venice stories and the photography, the real reason why you're here is because you're a stage manager. Correct. How did you get into the industry? Um, I was friends with Perry Farrell and Peter DiStefano, Steve Perkins and Martin Lenoble, my friend Roger Leonard 
and Sean London, and they were Porno for Pyros and the Porno for Pyros camp. And then I knew Harry from Jane's Addiction before that, and we befriended him. He lived on Six and Sunset. He lived like right, he lived, dude, when he lived on Six and Sunset, it was still the hood, and it was cracked out and fucked up. He legitimately lived in a super fucked up part of town. And it was just some shitty two-bedroom pad. And he was just always gone. I remember the first time I went there was with a friend of mine who was living with him at the time. And his MTV award, the statue was just like on the ground and the flag was like bent and shit like that. And it was just a mess. It was during Jane's addiction. This was during Jane's. This was like heyday of Jane's too. If you guys ever saw The Gift, no. The movie, it's a movie that they made that he uses his pad in the movie. And if you guys want to hear a real interesting story, he got two real cops to play the cops in this scene. And it's supposed to be a scene where his ex-wife kills herself and he does this really weird ritual thing with her and he's doped out and we're supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. He told me, he goes, I took actual heroin balloons and threw him all around the ground, but the cops were oblivious to it. And I did it. It's like, oh, dude, they're just props. And he goes, but for me to get really into character, I just did the real shit. And he was like, and you know that those were real cops. And he's like, and they just never knew. And I'm like, that's pretty interesting to know. <laughs> oh, shit. That's so, so I met them. And my friend Roger became the manager. And then Peter befriended Perry and ended up being becoming the guitarist of Porno for Pyros. And Roger and Peter from the north side of Santa Monica and they're a little older than me but they used to hang out in Venice all the time and we we're all friends it, and th it was everything was coincidence just absolute coincidence Peter and I at the first Lollapalooza were walking around Irvine Meadows and Peter was like could you imagine if I ever played with Perry could you imagine that and I was like why does he keep saying that and he like like idolized Perry and he's like could you imagine could you imagine and literally six months later he was the fucking guitarist for Porno for Pyros yeah. one thing amazing. led to another amazing and then put I put it out there. You gotta put manifest. it out in the universe. Yeah. Manifest. So then they did the first album. Jane's and Porno for Pyros is for is I, I can honestly say it's definitely a part of the soundtrack of Venice. And they were very prevalent in our lives as friends and people we're rooting for because you're looking at Peter like, yo, dude, I grew the up. Neighborhood. In this yeah, and the then neighborhood. like Roger being the manager, you're like, fuck yeah, this is cool. And then we're all hooked up and we get to go rage and they're giving us carte blanche and all that. And none of us knew how to act. I didn't know. I wasn't in the industry yet. So I was the dude that I hate on stages. I absolutely was that dude. Like, I'm all, like, I am appalled at the way we acted. And we had free range, though, you know? And so one thing led to another. Then my son's mom got pregnant. I had lost my job. She had no work. We got evicted. And they're like, hey, man, we're, we're up at the Shangri-La Zuma at the recording house. And do you guys want to move up here? And you work. So I was doing construction at the time. And they're like, you could save your money. And she could chill. And Peter's wife at the time was pregnant. Our kids are a week apart. So we had two pregnant women at the same time in that pad. And they're like, we have a, a cook. And she could eat well and be healthy. And it was this really cool thing. And they were mixing and the album. And then like Love and Rockets stayed there. And they were doing a song with them. And I sung back up on the song Freeway, but I did that before we moved up. It was months before. And then we just lived there and they would just watch me to go to watch me go to work. And I was like, how do I get in your guys' industry? Like, I don't want to do construction my whole life. Like, fuck that shit. And they're like, oh, dude, we don't have a stage manager. We'll 
we'll let you stage manage for us. Just try it out, see if you dig it. And Sean London will teach you and blah, 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 blah. And they just like, like I just got thrown to the wolves. They're like, handle. And Sean's like, Sean really hit me to stuff because he was our production manager. This is what you do, blah, 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 blah. So it was like baptism by fire and just did it. And so that when the album came out, Jake was born already. And he was like three months when I went on my first tour. And Damn, that must have been brutal. That is how Ooh. I got that is how I got on my first tour. And that it dude, so that came into play because that drove me nuts. Because I'd be gone for like six weeks. They didn't do super long tours. I was lucky with that. They didn't want to be gone long either. So they would do like six weeks. But six weeks, I'm like, damn, I just missed a month and a half. But then I'd be home for like two months. And then we also had a studio that is now a blue bottle coffee on, on uh, I call it West Washington. Still, it's Abbey Kenny, but the real shit is West Washington. West Washington and Westminster, we had a studio there. So I got to be the studio manager and I got paid like, like half of what I got paid on the road. But it was also like walking distance to my house. I could take my kid, you know, and it was, it was like chill. You're just like, hey, man, oh, you're going to book the studio. Cool. And we made a full like recording studio and offices out of this place. And so that was my start. And then I, after my run with them, I went to Limp Biscuit, and that was random. And then I didn't stage manage. They needed a set carp. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. But what I, is that? Like just building the sets. Oh, okay. okay. And Limp Biscuit. Yeah. And then that was a fun run. And that was a trip because that was the first time I was like working for a band where like I didn't know their music. I didn't know their vibe. I just knew them. And Fred was knew like, the name. Yeah. And Fred's like, hey, dude, like come roll with us, blah, blah, blah. He loved that I worked for fucking Perry and that awesome Venice. And that he like was a massive Janes fan and suicidal fan. And he knew my connection with that whole thing. And I remember like just going, I, my kid's mom was like, I'm not even trying to guilt trip you, but like, he's missing you. And I'm like, I'm out. And I remember it was like weighing on me heavy. And I went to my production manager and I go, I need to talk to you. And he goes, let me guess you want to go home. And I was like, how did you know? And he's like, I could just tell. And he's like, dude, I'm just going to tell you this. This tour will not be in juvenile hall fucking like 10 years from now, but your kid might, if you don't go be a dad. And I was like, thank you. And he goes, I'll help you get work at home. And then I flew home and then I started getting tons of work at home. And then I didn't tour for a long time. And then the only time I was gone was I would do the Super Bowl with Phil Burke, like uh, as his boneyard guy for the rigging company for Phil Burke rigging. And I would be gone for like six weeks to eight weeks, but Jake was older by then and was like, not tripping on it. He was cool. Understanding. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he knew what's up. But like I said, I also was home. Like it wasn't go like I know guys that were just like, I haven't seen my kid in like six months. I'm like, I'd go nuts. I would just have to yeah. pay him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that he was definitely the reason why I got off the road. You know, and I remember one guy, I won't say his name, he's a pile of shit. And he was like trying to give me shit for it. He was like one of the like carp guys. And I was like, Well, you don't have a kid for one. And like, fuck you too, dude. That's my kid. I don't give a shit about you. Yeah. And he like tried to give me some attitude. Where I was like, dude, I'll slap the fuck out of you, dude. <laughs> like not enough people get slappings in this industry. And yeah. That's something that me and some other people talk about at times. They would definitely benefit from it. And this guy was like older. Like he was older than me. And I'm like, hey, dude, you're old school. Like, what's up? But he didn't want none. You know what I mean? But I was like, shut the fuck up. Like yeah. that's my kid, dude. 
fucked yeah, up. Yeah. Especially you know. two. Two is when they start interacting and they start remembering. Yeah, and totally. That, they're little sponges at that age. So when they're newborns, they're, they're a little, you know, I think they can miss you a little more. Yeah, but yeah, two, yeah. like everything's new to them. Everything. Start everything together. You know what was really <laughs> fucked is like I would go to check off the waves and he would panic because I would leave and he would think I'm not coming oh. back. I'm like, oh. and she's like, see? I'm like, yeah, that's fucked up. Is he, sir? He did when he was younger. He didn't get the bug like I did. Like, he liked it and had fun doing it. Like, some people get the bug and some don't. How old is he? He's 26. Okay. Oh, wow. He's a full-grown man now. Nice. <laughs> we just went to go see Porno for Pyros play the day before I went to Kauai at the Belasco. Oh, Belasco. Oh, that, was, nice. that was pretty cool. And so Jake was in his mom's womb when they were recording the album and, like, literally grew up with that, hearing it every day. It How crazy cool. is that? That was a full circle right there. Yep. Oh. Yep. First time I saw Rage Against the Machine, they opened up for Porno for Pyros at Castaic Lake. And again, we hadn't worked in that industry yet. And none of my friends and we were, we all took a bunch of mushrooms. We went to a friend's funeral. An, old, an older guy we grew up with, Scott Herman, may rest in peace. Fucking awesome dude. We went to his wake and then we all rushed it up to Castaic Lake, like carloads of us. We all took mushrooms. Fucking thinking we're just going to see Porno for Pyros and my one friend was like, hey, dude, the opening act is sick. And, like, we just saw them at Young Moguls in Hollywood, Rage Against the Machine. We don't even know how to describe it. And they went on, dude, and they fucking destroyed the oh, place. Oh, wow. Rage just fucking came out, yeah. like, just guns blazing. And I'm like, what is this? Like, in the pit the whole time, dust everywhere. And then when he was like, your anger is a gift, I'm like, Dude, he gets it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm just so out of my mind on mushrooms. And I'm like, dude, see? Like, that's what I've been trying to tell motherfuckers, you know? Like, there's nothing wrong with being pissed off. Yeah. I remember camping out in front of our records in Monterey Park for rage tickets. Yeah, hell yeah. For rage tickets. I was there, slept on the sidewalk. And yeah. I went. All the good old days. I went to Penny Lane, our local record yeah. place. And I ran across the street the next day. My friend. Jeff owned the place and he was like cool dude like he was always hip to like shit like that before we were he like was pretty like underground in the legend like legend in the in the music scene and I was like dude I went to Castaic Lake yesterday and I saw it and he's like Rage Against the Machine right he goes you want the album I'm like yeah he goes comes out next week and I'm like oh my god I have to have that shit like what the fuck was that you know I'm like how did he make that sound on the guitar you know like I wasn't hip to like pedals or and he had stuff. I'm like, it's like he's DJing. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, he, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, how yeah. does he make that? <laughs> how do? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. That, they're fucking sick. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's how I got in the industry. That was it. And then as far as getting in, like, so like I started all in rock and roll. It was yeah, all rock. Yeah, yeah. And then the EDM side was Harry. But he was like, hey, made like do these gigs with me. You just get DJs off and on. I was like, nah, nah, I'm not interested. I'm not interested. And I was just like, it's probably just this crazy shit show, this and that. And then I finally, it was the economy took a shit. It was 2008. Okay. And I was like, hey, dude, I'll try that gig. And it was, and I did one at Nas. And it was like this little tiny stage by the lake. And when it was done, I looked at Harry and I'm like, dude, I am absolutely down for this every time. <laughs> that was the shit. And then my connection with Pasquale is, and not there's people that know this and people that don't, that Pasquale used to hang out at my friend Two Tones Pad, who was my downstairs neighbor when I was living on Pacific Avenue in Venice down the street from the breakwater. And they're all a little younger than me. And my friends and I were like the older guys. 
were a bunch of crazy, like, punk rock surfers, skaters upstairs. These guys were fucking nutty, fucking punk rock, taggers, surfers, skaters downstairs. And, but they were into EDM. And Pasqual at the time was, like, what, 93 it started. So that, like, I met him before he started it. Mm-hmm. But then when he started it, they would go, dude, you know our friend Pasqual that we hang with? He does these crazy ass parties out in San Bernardino. Dude, this shit's sick. You got to go out there. We're like, San Bernardino? We're like, dude, that's like going to Arizona. <laughs> like, especially, yeah. especially then, we were in such a little box. We're like, you guys are fucking crazy. You go all the way out there. They're like, nah, dude, this shit's sick. This and that. So one thing leads to another. And he sees me one day on stage and he's like, you're from Venice, right? I go, yeah. I go, you used to hang out at Two Tones, Pat. He's all, yeah. And we just started talking. And it was like super cool and tight ever since. He backs my photography very heavy. Oh, no. oh that's awesome. Super cool, man. Like Fuck really yeah. cool. So does Forrest. They are really cool about taking pictures of the build and the strike, like with my actual camera. You know, like when we were doing the parking rave, I'm like, I gotta like document right. this. Like yeah, this is, yeah. we'll never see this again in our lifetime. Things like that. But I really appreciate how supportive they are and how cool they are with it and like dude pasquale's been to my shows and he's he's bought prints before which kills me because i just want to give them to him because yeah. you know he's the homie and he helps me pay my rent and shit you know yeah but like it was really cool he bought one of my friend and my friend was there and they knew each other my friend signed it too oh. which was super cool and oh. and pasquale's like a huge skate enthusiast like big time like skates and stuff he was a tagger he was an awr and all that and so we knew each other from that like we'd share a crazy experience that happened of a guy getting shot in front of my pad, one of his friends, like like in broad daylight, loony ass shit. And like 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 four four o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday in Venice, you know what I mean? In like early nineties and shit. And so that's my connection with him. And I've been heavily on the EDM side of things ever since two thousand eight, where like ninety percent of my work literally throughout the years insomniac. Damn. Do you like EDM music? Uh, I'm not really an EDM guy because I'm very old school rock and roll and like and like I, punk and stuff. But I could say this: I dig the stages I get because it's like the house and techno stages, and it's mellower. There's more of a slower, well, like beaten rhythm, so it doesn't like. It's something I could get into. It's funny because Pascal was like, "Are you even into EDM?" I'm like, "I don't know anything about EDM. I just." Jesse Morales was like teaching me the genres like 12 years ago. I go, what's the difference? He goes, well, just know there's like 300 genres within this genre. I go, yeah, dude, it seems to be broken down. And he's like, you know, this is that and that's this. And then, then I was, wasn't doing the factory stages. And then when I got over there, I'm like, dude, this shit's dope. Like, keep me every, here. Everyone's like, everyone's mellower over there. All the people that are like, have the big names are like, they had their rock star moment and they're like, all and they're enjoying it now. Yeah. Like, do you get like a Carl Cox or a Green Velvet? They're like the nicest people on the planet. I've they're never s- met Carl Cox, but Green Velvet, they're like, super nice. Like the coolest people. They're always stoked. They're just, you just give them what they want. They're grateful. They're, yeah. They're super yeah. appreciative and grateful. And I'm like, that is a very hard thing to find on the rock and roll end. Like, uh... I tripped the first time that a DJ told me to let his friend play another five minutes. And he's like, you can just take out my set. Dude, you would never find two bands that know each other that would ever do that for the other band, ever. They could be best friends. That wouldn't happen. 
And I'm like, oh, these dudes are just like all flow. Ooh. It's rare that you get someone that you're like, hey, man, you're fucking me on time. Get off, get off. They're, it, they're usually pretty damn good about it and ending on time. Yeah. You know? And so that, especially the Factory 93 stages or that genre is a lot mellower. What's not mellow is the big party on stage, but it's a big party on stage. And it's all the other stage managers are like, how in the fuck do you hang? And I'm like, dude, you get to be the good guy for once. Like, you're hardly saying no because they're allowed to come up. It's set up with bottle service. I'm like, I don't know. I think it actually looks cool. It's a big old party. I get what they're trying to do with that. Like a party. Yeah, I don't. And then when I get the stages, like I just did uh, a day trip and we had a VIP <laughs> Behind oh yeah, that's yeah. Right. and no one was really on stage and i'm like okay cool so like that worked out i didn't have to bust balls you know and then like the ones that i don't that aren't factory related and it has to be clear people i mean for me it seems to be like they're very respectful about that they're not demanding to be up there you know it works out for the most part yeah. yeah yeah i get that probably like like yablonski probably goes through hell and hauling in them on their stages, battling people because it's like the bigger stages and, you know, everyone wants to be up there. I get that. But for me, I tend to like scave through it pretty well. Oh, so Chris Holland at um, Project Z. Yeah, yeah. So like, so like at Project Z, I was inside the OP and like no one came up and like they weren't. You were there? Most, yeah, I was inside the OP. Dude. Bro, I didn't even know you were there. <laughs> yeah, they there. kept me on stage and I was just like chilling with Chris Holland. I love working with Holland. I have a blast with him, man. He's a good dude. He's a really good dude. We had fun in EDC Mexico. And we we got him. So we get him on the next. We got to book him. Can yeah. you let us? Can you let us who don't really know what goes on, uh, what a stage manager does? All right, you are Mary Poppins. You're like you're the conductor of okay. the stage for the most part. So you have all your vendors, and you know you have lighting and audio and you know, rigging and you know, staging and all that stuff and pyro and effects and blah, blah, blah. And you're making sure they have their needs. They have the right amount of crew, the power, and you know, you advance the show with your production managers and you're asking like, you know, what do you need power wise? And what do you need? You know, um, it's just, you're asking questions and then you're also telling them like, if you are audio, you're going to bring, comms and a shout box and an emergency mic if you're lighting you're gonna light up the stairs as well as your regular lighting, just things like that and then whatever they might need change like hey can we add like five more crew this day you go and ask the bosses and you adjust it accordingly then when you get to you know to the build you're building everything so you're there ahead of time you're there building the stages Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the oh. ground up. Now, back in the day when I first started with Insomniac, we only did the show days. You would maybe you just show up. You would maybe do like one day pre-production, and that consisted of like sound check and taping up the stairs and just making sure things are bike racked off and the barricade and all that. But it was like you just did the show, and now you're fully in on the build and everything. Oh, so, how many days cool. ahead of show were you there? It could be anything, usually from like let's say the bigger stages, easily two or three weeks and then like a stage, a stage like mine like like a week and then you have a show and that takes like a couple days to tear it down was there any issues that you guys ran into when you were building the stage this past year this year was pretty damn smooth and the sea container aesthetic is awesome i love that look and what's cool is it's different from wasteland because those sea containers went really high and did like the a-frame look 
and they do like graffiti. It's the same graffiti artist, and they do graffiti art over there. And then on mine, they do it more like a mural. Oh, so it, the art even looks different. So it has a different look. And I personally like the sea container look. So I thought it was really cool. A lot of people loved it. They yeah, they it looked really a, cool. They had an escape last year, and and Carlos was like, "We need this more." And I'm like, "This is the cool shit for sure." Yeah. It, all of that fascinates me. How everything gets put together, and there's so many pieces to the pu- pieces to the puzzle, puzzle, yeah. and how many people it takes you, to put something you, on. You gotta make sure everyone's like on the same page, and then like there's always gonna be an issue, and then people work it out, and they figure things out. The crazy stuff is like, and it's really good. At, like like I said, with Insomniac, they're super by the book with like yeah. codes. Have like to. they are core with it. They like, have to be. They're like they don't fuck around, which is awesome, and like just have to be ready for like nothing shocking at that point yeah. yeah i feel like like you were saying earlier you guys there's a really good core team oh yeah for that sure works for insomnia I, I know rocky has mentioned it before this last um ed edc his team was on his stage were really really good yeah the like, dick it was the smoothest edc i think i've worked it was it ran well so good yeah, it was super like, I, stage was I was at the point of like ah oh, man i don't Before like work, i don't like working the big shows anymore i like doing the more like cross fast like the small stuff and i was like oh, i don't know if i want to do it but but this last cdc that i worked i was like was this yeah, was a good i felt oh, i'm coming back can't wait for the next one you know you might hear something funny so we we're loading out we got like really ahead and we were able to take the sea containers down pretty quick and the one by the stage, right behind the stage, was three high. So you have to crane one down. It's my last day. Um, Joe was going to handle the rest of the containers the next day, Joe Hanley. And we, we had already taken all the ballast out. And like it was just like good to just get it like an hour's work left. Jake Berry comes up and he's like, Angle, if I got a crane over here, would you be able to get that top one down before the end of the day? There was like 40 minutes left. I go, yeah, let's rush it. Dude, the next thing you know, the crane's just there within 10 minutes. And like, we just fucking, Joe went up there, strapped it off with the riggers, and got it down. And literally, there was like five minutes left before the end of the day. And we're like, well, knock that off the plate. That was cool. Like, Jake's rad. He just rides up like the cavalry. Like, you need it to happen, it'll happen. Let's do it. Yeah, he just makes it happen. It's but if cool. it was in New York, that wouldn't happen. Well, yeah, that's like a whole different vibe over there. We need a 10-minute break. Remember oh, in New York, it would just be like, oh, you want us to stay near the end? Yeah. It might cost you $40,000, yeah. like whatever union stuff they have over there. Yeah. Or, or they get the break. Yeah, yeah, you remember that. Yeah, yeah totally. It was dude. fucking nuts. Yeah, you don't fuck around with those guys over there. They're a strong union. <laughs> don't fuck with any unions. That's my big advice to anyone is don't fuck with unions. I love when people come in and they're like, these fucking union guys, you're like, you can hate them all you want, but they'll make your life miserable. And I've worked oh, yeah, alongside with unions, so I don't fuck with unions or teamsters, you dumbasses. And we have dudes that that I know just in the industry period, and they love to battle it. And I'm like, I don't. I guess I'm gonna win. Yeah, I guess it's an ego thing for you. I see that if you are nice to them, they'll fucking bend over backwards for you yeah. like anyone else, dude. You know. True. Yeah, man. So would you go back on tour? No, not I couldn't even imagine going on tour. I would be miserable. I would be so miserable being on a bus in a little tube with like 12 people that maybe six of them I probably internally actually hate. <laughs> <laughs> like I toured with some dudes back in the day that like I had to get really gnarly with where I was like, yo, dude, we're stuck on a tube together and I'll just fuck your shit up. Because like I came from where I came from and I took it with me. I didn't 
mellow out at all. At 26, even though I had a kid, it did not mellow me out. Way too far asleep. And, and, okay. yeah, and I just was like, I was <laughs> fucked up to certain dudes where I'm like, oh, you're one of those dudes because you think you're in this industry. You could talk shit. I'm like, yo, dude, I'm from Venice. We just slap people like you. And they would just be like, yo, dude, you don't have to be like that. I'm like, well, you don't have to open up your fucking mouth. Like, I don't know. I react to an action. You cause the action. I love it. I love it. Hothead. Yeah, fully, man. Fuck. Don't fuck around. Jewish, but he's fucking speedy on sides up in it. I'll tell you that, like, almost every stage manager, we are cut from the same cloth. We just do things our own way, but we definitely all, for the most part, feel the same in that kind of way. Most definitely. Most of you guys came from that rocket. Like like Jacob. Like, (laughs) Jacob and I click on it super hard. For sure. Jablonski, all, all those guys, dude. Larry? Yeah, Larry. We're all cut from that same cloth. Yeah. You know, that's why we're all like old. But you guys are good at what you guys do. We're all like old punkers that ended up in EDM. Yeah. And we're like, yo, but like this is, this side's a nicer side. They pay, everyone pays great. There's tons of money flowing. EDM's gigantic. Like I joined right when it blew up. Like when it was getting super mainstream, yeah. I'm like, oh man, this is like something different. This is cool. And then also the vibe there is really good. Everybody's uh, yeah. there. Everyone's so, I like triple. The, I'm like, you know, there's no fights. Yeah. Everyone's all mellow, man. Yeah. Everyone's all cool. Fucking the production's off the charts. Yeah, yes. insane. Like I tell friends of mine, I'm like, look, even if you're not into the music, like if you want to see something aesthetically super cool, just go, man, and trip on it. We're like. Like my friend Jamie, Pasquale used to look up to Jamie when he was younger. And Jamie and I were roommates back in the day, Vision. And Pasqu- I hooked him and Pasquale up to talk. And Pasquale was like telling Jamie, like, come out. Like, Jamie's got four kids now. And he's like, I know you got kids. Come out one day. I got you. I just want you to see what I, I've done. And I told Jamie, I'm like, artistically, because you're an artist, You'll fall in love with it. Yeah, you'll love it. Yeah, it's, it's sure. mind blowing the production. I'm like, you do, you go to like big rock shows, and it's like, like they're just boxes, the stages. I'm like, this Apple is teams, like, yeah, I'm like this is all like, it's the whole experience, dude. I go, it is 12 hours of nonstop, and it's and you can never get bored. Oh, I'm like, there's it, so much to see. Literally a gallery. It's gallery. Oh, that's yeah, a good. Dude, it is. A, it is an art. It, it fully is, dude. It's it's well thought out. Like, the shit that Jeff and them do, man, the art guys are just, it's the coolest shit. I love it. I'm like, this is adult Disneyland, man. Mm-hmm. It is. It is, bitch. Especially to see how far it's come. Yes. Mind-blowing, dude. From the little, little to this massive speedway now. Yeah. I, I did the main stage the first two years when I went to Vegas, and it literally was just a giant video wall. And they yeah. just did this whole thing of, like, it was a box and a box and a box, and it was, like, really cool. And I'm like, wow, videos, like, come a long way. He had the- and then, like, the, five years the, later, it was just like- all of a sudden, there's owl wings yeah. opening up, and it's like you know, like it looks like the Disneyland. And I'm like, dude, that's rad that it's come this far so quickly. It's amazing. Yeah, the 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 weekend it fucking shut down for the winds. Oh, oh yeah, that was no. I was at the Neon Garden when that happened. Uh, I that, thought yeah, that was you. I I no, I was. I, well, you might have been on my stage at that time, but I, or I think no, you were at me. No, no, I wasn't. Man, the year it sh- the winds came up, I definitely was on Neon Garden. For sure. So then it was Harry. It was definitely Harry. Yeah. Or Matt, by then it might have been Yablonski. No, Le- uh, it was Yablonski Harry. was at the the one. The hard style stage. Hard style stage. Okay. Yeah, when that happened, 
I called it in and I was like, hey man, my video while swaying, I know what you guys are saying the wind is, but I'm letting you know that I have 20 dudes trying to hold it. It's going up. I'm bringing it in. And then everyone called it in. Yeah. They're like, bring your shit in. And then that the winds, crazy. the winds got legit out of control. I had never somehow in all those years of working, I had never been a part of shutdown. a shutdown like that. Where I was like, wow, man, this is a legit shutdown. I didn't even think it was possible when I was no. like, you guys are shutting everything down. I was the, shocked. The best was that it was like, what, around 2, 3 in the morning? And yeah. they like turned on all the floodlights. So yeah. it was just bright white. And my homegirl called me. She was with her boyfriend. And she goes, what's going on? We just took a bunch of molly. And I was like, how are your eyeballs doing? And she's like, dude, this shit is killing me. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm letting you know, get out of here now and just go to the hotel because like, the, we're probably not going to open back up. Yeah. Like, the winds are insane. So she got out of Dodge. And I would say about an hour later, they're finally like, we got to just shut it down. And it was the right call, dude. It was fucking psychotic, those winds. Yeah, it was. I remember. I remember. Yeah. I still like an hour. Yeah, maybe two hours because they had Cascade on one of the yeah. carts. Yeah, I remember they were trying to find people to play the the art carts as it was going on. Like that was the cool thing is like they never gave up until they finally were like, okay, we have to now. Yeah, and like I said, my hats off to them that they made the right decision for sure. Like they went by the book on it, and it was it was crazy. It, it, it was flying. I remember seeing main stage and it was just, oh, yeah, it, was, it was, it was definitely scary stuff. And like, so that's the stuff we deal with. Like that's the stuff that people that go there don't get. Don't what realize. We're doing. They're like, yeah. how come you're shutting it down? It's like, cause you could die, dude. That's why we're shutting safety. it down. Safety, safety, safety first. Like calling in them, you know, they were like battening down the hatches, man. They were just like cranking the shit down and they were just like running guide wires left and right. We got all the crew off, you know, and then they finally were like, everyone go home. Uh, our friend Paul was at the build for a day trip. Yeah. And they got shut down before, not during, um, it was days before because of the lightning. Oh, yeah, I was there. The oh, day, the lightning yeah, happened. yeah. He was stage manager on the other oh, side. The, oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah we yeah, yeah. Well, it shut down for like, about hours? Yeah, about an hour. But it was like, dude, the lightning got, like, it was it, crazy. It got close. Like, I was all, whoa, dude, it was right behind that tree. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was there. Such, yeah. And such a rare thing to see at the beach. Like, but you do get that, like, a tropical kind of storm like that, and you'll get that. You know, you'll get what they get in the mountains, but you get it here. It was, I mean. It was rare, but it was very bizarre that we got the lightning. I was nowhere near then. I could hear the thunder and the lightning. I could just imagine how crazy it was there, and for you guys to get shut down. There was a lightning strike over the ocean really close to us, and. We're like, okay, everyone, you know, go to the safe place. And the hands are like walking slowly. And then the other one came by the tree near the stage and the lightning or the thunder cracked super loud and everyone ran. Oh. Like, it just like, <laughs> we freaked them out. I was like, you guys were all walking a second ago and then they scattered real quick. I'm like, man, that was scary. Yeah. So yeah. How, was, how was day trip? It was awesome. Yeah. Was really cool. Uh, I, I, we walked to that stage just for a little bit, but we didn't get on stage. But it was so much fun. Yeah, it was I cool. loved that whole top part with the people on stage. Yeah, the VIP right behind yeah. you. I dug that too because it just kept everyone away from us. But they literally were like almost connected to the DJ booth, and they had a great view. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was it was smooth. It was a good show. And like me being a beach guy, I'm just like, thank God, like it's. Oh, nice. It's at a harbor. (laughs) You're not in the sand. It's the best of everything. You're like, oh, you're on grass and you're next to the ocean. Oh, my God. And it's foggy. You know, I was like loving it. I'm like the worst with that shit. I'm a total bitch when it comes to weather. Like I am a full on 
Southern California, like if it is not between like, I don't know, 68 and 75, anything above or under, I'm like too cold, too hot. <laughs> and I go nuts. When I surf, I want it to be like when I just came from in Kauai, like 80 degree water and sunny. The second I touch the sand, I want it to be like Scotland. I want it to be cold and overcast. Yeah. I don't like hang out on the beach. I surf. Yeah. And then you get out. Yeah, I just get out. I also want to just, just briefly uh, hit on that you were in a Hulu documentary. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's ah, right. He's famous, people. You know, it's famous. You know, it's funny. It's like a couple people saw it on the plane, I guess. And they're like, dude, I was on a plane. And like, Okay, turned on the Von Dutch documentary. There you were. I was, I was like, I was like, oh, they're showing on the plane now. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty fun to do actually. And then they used a lot of my photos. That's how it originally started. Was they yeah. wanted my photos? And then when I got to talking to them, they're like, "Would you like to be in this?" Oh. And I was like, "Yeah." And I could give you like twenty people you could get a hold of that would probably do the interview. And a bunch of my friends did interviews. Oh, that's awesome. Because we all grew up with Mike, so we knew him. Oh, uh, okay. And then next week, there's a Woodstock 99 Netflix documentary that's a docuseries, and they bought one of my photos of my Woodstock shot when I was on Limp Bizkit. Oh. And it's like the total quintessential shot of like the crowd going crazy. There's a dude holding a rope ladder. You know, you have like the, you have like the roadie standing right there, and it's just dusty and dirty, looks miserable and everything, and that's the shot that they bought. Oh, I love it. Gotta see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it should be cool. But yeah, the 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 Von Dutch thing was pretty fun to do. It you know they edit shit down. The whole interview of was fucking hilarious. Like the shit being said, but the opening statement that I say was the one thing that the guy was like, "That's all that needed to be said." Like you, your opening statement just said it all. And I'm like, "Hey man, like I love Mike, but there's just people that sabotage themselves, dude. They're just they cannot help it and." There's an abundance to that where I grew up, me included. I have sabotaged myself a thousand times. Just we just test the bounds of stuff, and he just would he would he would just drop the ball the one yard line, you know, every oh. time, dude. You know what I mean? So like, what I said was not for me to be a dick about him. It's just like, hey, this is my boy. I would say this about anybody I know who does this. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like. Yeah. You know, and they were like, dude, that was like such a great quote. I'm all, thank you. I'm like, it was the best analogy I had to describe yeah. him, you know? Oh, we, we, we need to finish it. We didn't finish yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, we're still, yeah, we're, still we're still watching, watching it. it. It's nuts, dude. The, the, I didn't know the entire story. You did, I didn't even yeah. know that, like, any of it. I, I was like, wow, how did I not know all that? But I also wasn't hanging with him by that time when it was later uh. on. But you watch it and you just go. Could they have just fucked up any harder? I know. The guy was from Miami, bro. You know, you just go, you just go, just do it the right way. Yeah. And you'll be fine. Dude, I used to read mafia books all the time. I was like so into it when I was younger, like about the old school guys. Every fucking book ends with them or the writer saying, if they would have just done it the legit way, they would have been millionaires and died that way and not have had the tax evasion yeah. and like scared that you're going to get killed. And they're all saying like, if I would have just done it the right way, you know, instead of cutting the corners, it's always like the lesson learned. That's yeah. everything. Well, not really because like there's people that don't cut corners that fucking own companies that like a, like a, like a Von Dutch that like still exist 
that they didn't fuck up like that. And then there's people that like to cut corners and do things oh. like, yeah, 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 dude, we'll just do this handshake. And you're like, the handshake stuff doesn't quite do it, dude. You know what I mean? Look at McDonald's. What? The handshake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Dude, I watched right. that movie, that whole story. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was like, yeah, dude. Like, that's how you get burned, man. Exactly. That's what happens when you live in San Bernardino. It's all cover <laughs> your ass. Yeah, beautiful San Bernardino. Jesus. Oh, Everyone awesome. always goes, where are you working at? I'm all back at beautiful San Bernardino. <laughs> Hot, oh. beautiful San Bernardino. <laughs> well, that was fun. I appreciate this. This was very fun. Yeah. We appreciate yes. you. Thank you, man. We're gonna. You're one <laughs> of many that is coming in. We got. Yeah. We got lined up. We got. Hey, we, we got Josh coming in. We got Josh. I would have been down to do it, which me and Josh click hard. He's funny as shit. Man. Yeah. The president. Yeah. I would love to get. We got to get another mic so we can get like multiple people in here. Dude, I. I'm letting you guys know. Okay, you guys already know about the stage manager channel, but like. This shit is nuts. Dude, you should go to just our stage manager meeting. It's the best shit. Like. There's not one person. Fucking fraternity us. house. It's not a fucking character. We're all fucking batshit crazy in some way. Fucking life. around. Like, we're all absolutely fucked up in the head. There's not one yeah. stage manager that's normal. I don't care. You got to be you ready for anything. You have to be a glutton for punishment in every way. And we all just fucking are just on each other. It is the funniest shit. I saw a little bit of that in Mexico out with, uh, was it Larry? Jacob and Blonsky. Yeah. And I, in the trailer with Jake Berry. And yeah. Jake Berry had some, hey, calm the fuck down, dude. You guys fucking around too much. You know what? Yeah. The, I think it was at EDC. I think I saw you. It was Sunday. And you were there. And you were telling us a story that you guys carpooled with Vince. But you guys left <laughs> No, we no no. You picked him no, up. We, we got his ass. We oh. went, fucking saved his ass. They're like, dude, we were dude, we got <laughs> we got back to the hotel Monday morning, and we're watching every stage manager get back, and we were enjoying a rainbow product to like get some good sleep. Yeah. For before loadout, and a good sleep consists of three, maybe two three hours of sleep that day, and um. Megan comes up and she's like, has anyone seen Vincent? And we're like, no. And then Vincent called. It was like, hey, I'm stuck here. <laughs> and me and Josh were like, fuck that. We'll go get his ass. We're up. So we went back to side and got him. And we're like, we're like, and Vincent's like the nicest He's... guy. So you're like, we didn't leave you. But we still feel horrible that you got left. Because he's just got that face. You know what I mean? And he's still like kind to everyone. And I'm like. All day, I was like, wow, you guys are fucked up. You, like, left him, dude. That's so fucked up. Yeah. Who left him? I don't oh, know who left him, but someone... It was pretty funny. So, yeah, that's the, like, we saved his ass and went and got him. I'm like, you guys are dicks, and you love Vince, man. He's oh, like, this shit, yeah, dude. I love Vince. Big Daddy V. I'm going to start calling him that now. Big Daddy V. Looking forward to working with him later on this year. All right, guys, it's about that time. Let's get into the mix portion of our show. Let's jump straight into it. This is Theo, live at Texas Club.
Still.
Chicago motherfucking gangster.
to have Theo send us a mix. Guy is a legend. I used to look up to this guy when I was first getting into DJing. If you want to know more about Theo, go to his Instagram at T-H-E-E-O. You can check out some of his music at SoundCloud. Go to T-H-E-E-O. You can hear some of his mixes there. I want to say a big thank you to Theo. Thank you, Theo. Hot ass shit, bro. Yeah. And a big thank you to Bagel. Thank you so much, Bagel. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming in. Sharing your story. We'll see you on the next gig. And so the answer to your question is a stage manager stresses out all day and worries about increments of time and space (laughs) and everyone on their stage. And we just literally are on edge for 12 hours and you just absolutely think at any minute the anvils and hammers are going to fall from the sky. And when they don't, you're like, it was a really good day. Good job. Before we go, um, you got any like art galleries coming up? Any like anything you want to promote? Promote. I am currently Jamie and I are currently in the show that you guys saw, which is that was the 10 year anniversary show for the Super Chief Gallery that was in downtown yeah. that we went to, and then still going on. How long is that running for? That, I th- until the end of the month, like the last yeah, end day. Of July. And then. Um, 
and that show's amazing. It's a huge group show. There's just insane art and photos in there. And uh, Billy, who runs the Super Chief Gallery, is a great curator and photographer and artist. The guy's like, he's got a very good vision of what he wants to do. Um, we were just in the gallery portion of Beach Life Fest and we sold two of, the, of our pieces. And the same guy that's the curator for that, Charles Adler, is gonna put us in Ohana Fest because there's a gallery portion of that as well. And so he's helping us out. As far as something that's like coming up that's just a show, so it's not a part of a concert, we don't have anything yet, but there's things in the works. Yeah. Awesome. And where, where can people follow you on Instagram or? Uh, JBK underscore photos. And then my website's on there. My website, there's more photos, but Instagram, I tell the stories with the photos. All right. I, I love your Instagram. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah. Tell yeah. The JBK underscore photos. Nice. Well, sweet. Again, I appreciate you coming in. Likewise. Oh, yeah, baby. And uh, we'll see you next time. This is Set Times. Bye-bye. <laughs>